The message of Christmas is that the truth has arrived. The only real question for us today is, will you and I be wise enough for ourselves to arrive at the truth? As we get started in our sermon today, would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the truth. Thank you for who Jesus is. And God, I pray as we open up your word now that you would open our eyes, you would open our ears to see and to hear and to understand so that we can know the truth, so we can love the truth, and ultimately, God, so we can be set free. I thank you for the privilege to communicate it now, God, and I pray that you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, I want you to open it up to Matthew chapter 25. It's the first book in the New Testament. We're going to hang out there for a little while, and then we'll go to Luke chapter 1. So those are the two primary texts we're going to be in, Matthew chapter 5 and Luke chapter 1. But if you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. We've got screens for you to see the verses there that's not there to see my ugly face, I promise you. All right, they're there to follow along just in case you didn't bring a Bible. But if you don't even own a Bible, we would love to give you one for free. We've got those available out in the lobby. And so after service is over today, please go by and ask uh, any of our team members for a Bible. We will get you one. We'd love to give you that as a Christmas gift. But what we're going to do here in Matthew 25 is we're going to look at a parable or what is called a short story, if you will. That's only, that's what the word parable means. It means a short story with an underlying spiritual message. We're going to look at a parable that Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 25 and use that to help us better understand the Christmas story in Luke chapter one. All right. So let's go Matthew chapter 25. We're going to start in verse one. It says this. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. Everybody say foolish. foolish. That's good. I like for you to call and respond, all right? So I know you're alive out there. Let's try that again. Five of them were what? Foolish. foolish. And five were what? Why? So you got a total of 10, five plus five. You got five foolish, you got five wise. Now Jesus is going to explain the difference between the wise and the foolish. Verse three, the foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. That's key. They took their lamps, but they did not take any oil. Verse four, the wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. So this is a parable. This is a short story. It's a made up story that Jesus is telling. And the reason why Jesus used parables was to break down spiritual truths in kind of practical ways. But there were people who thought they knew the truth, that the parables would just confuse them. And so he tells these parables for us to understand these spiritual truths. And we'll get into the spiritual truth when we get to verse 13. But I want you to first understand the story or the parts of the story. And so Jesus is intentionally placing himself in this story as the bridegroom. And he says, there's these 10 virgins. Now the word virgin just means a young unmarried woman. We would call those maidens. And these 10 maidens are on task or on duty from the bride to make sure that the bridegroom announcement, when he arrives, that he's there, he's on time and he gets ushered in. And so we would call these 10 maidens bridesmaids today. And depending upon, you know, all the expectations of the bride, they have these tasks that they're supposed to accomplish. And the task for these 10 bridesmaids was to announce the arrival of the bridegroom. 
But Jesus says five of them were wise because they had their lamps and they had oil for their lamps. Now, obviously, they didn't have electricity back then. They didn't have uh, flashlights, things like that. They didn't have iPhones with lights on them. So they would have a lamp, but then you would have to have oil to burn in the lamp to produce the light. And then the five foolish, it says they had their lamp, but they had no oil. So therefore, they couldn't burn anything. They couldn't provide the light. They couldn't complete the task that they were given to do. And then it says this. It seemed like the bridegroom was delayed in coming, so they got drowsy and fell asleep. Now, in the text, it literally, the, it, it reads in the Greek that their heads started to nod, and they, they're kind of nodding off. That's why we say that, nodding off. And, and we've all had this happen, you know, when you're really tired and you're sleepy, and you, you're kind of sitting there and your eyes closed, and then you're not, your head go, kind of goes like that, until it goes to the point where, like, then you, like, really wake up, you know what I'm talking about? Like you're just kind of nodding and then, it, then you're like, okay, I'm tired. I got to go to bed. Well, this would happen when I was growing up. I've got an older brother and an older sister. And almost every night we would be sitting around watching TV or watching something. And my father, who likes to go to bed early, he's still like this to this day, about 8.30, 9 o'clock, he starts nodding off. And, and we would all just be sitting there just laughing at him watching. But there was something else that also, when he was nodding off, that would just make us, I mean, literally almost roll on the floor laughing. My father lost a lot of his hair when he was younger. And in fact, my brother, when he was 17 years old, went completely bald. And yet I've got this mop. It doesn't make any sense. They say that it's your mom's father that you know, determines, well, like my brother and I got the same grandpa, but he went bald at 17 and I still got this mop. I'm, I guess since my parents are cousins, our genetics are all messed up, right? <laughs> and so my father, <laughs> my father going bald, but he did the old school comb over, you know what I'm talking about? Now, when I say comb over, I'm not talking about like the fact that he, it was just kind of thinning and, and he was still trying to, I'm talking about like, no, it was like bald and he's got a few strands that are hanging over that he's, you know, hanging on to that he's just combing over. Like he ain't fooling anybody, right? And, and growing up, we would tell our father, dad, I'm telling you, being bald is cool today. It's not like what it was. Just shave it off. Thankfully in the future he did. So now that's how he wears it. But at this time growing up, He'd be nodding off, and as he would start to nod off, like as he would keep doing, I mean, this would happen over 30 minutes to an hour. The comb over would start to lose its hold. <laughs> and, and like as his head would kind of slant like this, the comb over would kind of start standing up. <laughs> until, and I kid you not, until eventually it would be sticking straight out. <laughs> and, and this, I mean, think about this. To comb it all the way over, you're talking about a good 10 to 11 inches, Right? And so it would start standing up and we would start laughing out loud to the point to where it would wake my father up and he would get mad at us and then eventually go to bed. <laughs> and so when I talk about nodding off, the idea of Jesus saying here, come over or not, who knows, is like, as you get sleepy, you're starting to nod off. And that, if you were here a few weeks ago, and if you weren't, that message is online in our series called Arrival, which is our Advent series, which what this season is about. The very first week of that message, 
we talked about how knowing that the arrival of Jesus is coming, the church needs to wake up. The church needs to be aware of the time that we're in. And Jesus says these 10 ladies start, start to kind of nod off and fall asleep. And then all of a sudden, the cry goes out. The bridegroom is coming. So let's see what happens to these five wise and five foolish. Verse seven. It says, then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Verse 10. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. That's, that's a key point there. While they were on their way, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Verse 11. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth. I don't know you. Verse 13. Therefore. Now I told you last week, anytime you read the Bible and you see the word therefore, you ask yourself what? What's it there for? Right? That's the point. And so when you see the word therefore, it's keying back into the story that he just said. So here's the spiritual principle, the underlying principle of the parable. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. So the point of the parable, the underlying meaning that Jesus is trying to get across is, listen, you never know when that day is coming. So watch out. Be ready. Be prepared. You do not know the day. You do not know the hour. Now, here's what's interesting. These five wise ladies had oil. And when the bridegroom arrived, they go in. They're a part of the wedding party. They're a part of the celebration. They were prepared. They were ready. And when the bridegroom arrived, even though they were kind of nodding off, when he shows up, they're ready. But then the five foolish ones who didn't have the oil, they were not ready. And during that time, they asked those who did have the oil, hey, can we have some of yours? Can we have some of yours? And they say, no, go get some for yourself. And so at that point in time, they try to go get some, but then the door is shut. And then they come to try to get in. And the bridegroom says, I don't know you. You're on the outside. See, they thought they were a part of the wedding party still getting out only to find themselves not a part. See, the point of the parable is this. Jesus being the bridegroom, he is saying, there will come a day when I will arrive again. There will come a day where I will show up again. And foolish people who are not prepared for his arrival think like this. Foolish people think, I've got more time. I got more time. I'm, I mean, I'm only 13. I, I got more time to live. I got, I got life to live. You know, I'm only in my 20s, man. I just got married, just starting my family, just starting my career. I got time for that get to your 30s, your 40s, you're like, man, you know what? People live today typically till their late 70s. That's average lifespan today. I got time. 
And Jesus says, when we have that mentality, we might find ourselves on the outside when he returns. See, the wise ones are the ones who say, I don't know when he's returning, so I want to be prepared so that whenever he returns, I'm ready and I don't find myself on the outside. That right there is the perfect setup for the Christmas story. So now I want you to flip over to Luke chapter one. We're gonna look at, interestingly, another virgin who also had an unexpected arrival, who also had an encounter that totally caught her off guard. And I want us to look at the encounter and then I want us to study her response to determine whether or not she was like the foolish virgin or she was like the wise. Look at Luke chapter one, starting in verse 26. It says this, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. Now we need to understand a little bit of, of their custom, the Jewish custom of marriage and wedding. What would happen typically was the parents would arrange the marriage. So more than likely Mary's parents, Joseph's parents arranged the marriage and maybe it was you know, for certain things that benefited the families. And we kind of think about that in 21st century today and we're like, oh, that is so horrible. Do you know that arranged marriages in less in divorce than those that are not? Lindsay and I are all for arranged marriages, man. We're already arranging it for our kids. Like you're going to marry this one, right? All for it. Because then you spend your lifetime getting to know one another. And so they're, they're arranged to be married. And, and, and in that society, it was as if they were already married. They were what we would call engaged, spoken for. But what was a little bit different for them is once they were betrothed, then the man would go back to his family's house and would start building on a room. He would start building on a room during this time period of when they're betrothed. So they're not together. They're not living together. They're not even what we would call dating. They're not kissing. They're not doing any of that, which is much more of a biblical understanding of how it works. So the, the, the man, Joseph, was off adding on a room to his father's house which helps us better understand how Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many rooms. I'm gonna go build it on for you. Why? Because Jesus is saying he's the bridegroom and the church is the bride. So when we get to heaven, we won't get our own mansions. We'll get a room off of the mansion of God. It's all one house, right? All one family. And you're like, I don't know if I wanna live with that many people. Well, there won't be sin anymore, so you won't be freaked out like you are now, right? And so we got in this story Joseph is gone. He's out building on to his parents' house. And this angel shows up, Gabriel, and speaks to Mary. Now, before we just kind of move on quickly from this, I just want us to put ourselves in that encounter. Uh, imagine what it would have been like. We don't know exactly how old Mary is, but they would consider themselves an adult after the age of 12. And so the whole idea of teenager in, in the ancient Near East was a foreign thought. In fact, teenager, the, I, the word teenager has only been around for about a hundred years, 
which is just delayed adolescence. And we just keep delaying it even further. At what point do they become an adult, right? Biblically speaking, it was age 12. So Mary, more than likely, I mean, think about this, was like 13, 14. I mean, just imagine that. God entrusted Jesus to a teenager. I mean, just let that, you know, roll around up there to, to see God wants to use teenagers. God wants to use the generation that's, that's coming up. They're not the generation of tomorrow. They're the generation of today. And so here's this young girl, 13, 14. Again, we don't know the age. And, and picture this. An angelic being shows up and speaks to her. Can you imagine being in your backyard or walking in the woods? You're all alone and you see this flying angelic talking angel? Would you be freaked out by that? The answer is yes, right? Like, well, I have those all the time. You need to see a doctor, right? Like, I mean, just imagine, a, a young, my, my son's 13, he's about to be 14 next month. I can't imagine him coming home and explaining this encounter to me. I'm like, dude, you are not well. And then look at what he says. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, I want you, again, I want you to picture yourself in this situation. Mary hears this being speak. He says, greetings, Mary. You have found favor with God. Oh, favored one. And in the English, it doesn't quite convey the weight of the statement because we just read it as like, she was greatly troubled. No, she was in mental anguish. She's trying to figure out what in the world is going on. She's trying to discern. She's thinking, this is my translation. What the mess is going on? Right, that's the JSV, the Jason Standard Version, right? Like, like, I'm just putting myself in this story and thinking, all right, I'm seeing this angelic being, which we typically think of angels as kind of cute, cuddly, you know, cupid little things with wings. But every time an angel shows up, they say some iteration of this phrase right here. Do not be afraid. <laughs> so apparently angels are a, a, a little bit scarier looking than cupid, right? I mean, I ain't never seen one. I don't know. But I know every time they show up, they say, don't be afraid. So here's Mary. And, and why would the angel say, don't be afraid? Because he knows she's afraid. Of course, right? And then he says this, you have found favor with God. Again, and if I'm, if I'm Mary, I'm thinking to myself, I wasn't looking for that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't search him for that. I don't know where you are or where you came from or who you are or what you're talking about, man, but you, I think you got the wrong person. And then he says this. Look at the next verse, verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. Now I love Mary's response to this. Verse 34, look at this. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be? 
since I'm a virgin. Now, again, stop and think about this. This angelic being shows up, talking to her about she's found favor, which a better way to translate that is not that Mary found it, but that favor found her. Mary wasn't looking for it, but favor found her. And then the angel says this, you're going to conceive and give birth to a son. Now, remember, Joseph is off building a house, building a room onto his parents' house. And so here's Mary, this angelic being showing up, telling her, you're about to bear a son. You're about to conceive. Mary responds just like I think any of us would respond. Um, hey, angel, I don't know how things work on the planet you came from, but down here on earth, it takes two to tango. And I don't know if you know, but Joseph ain't here and we ain't married. So she says, how will this be? How can this be? Such a pragmatic question. I love that question. Such a helpful question. A question that we should all ask ourselves. How will this be? How can this be? See, typically in our culture today, we're, we're humans. And so we look at things from a very humanistic point of view, which means to say we look at things from a very natural point of view, a very natural point of view. It's what we can see. It's what we can touch. It's what we can hear. And, and that's not wrong or bad. That's just what it means to be human. That's just how we see the world. That's just how we understand it to be. But the problem is when we can't see past the natural. We can't see past what we can see. See, Mary asked a very honest question. How can this be? Now, I love the angel's response even more. Look at what the angel says in verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. See, the angel's response to Mary's very honest and very pragmatic natural question is to say, listen, Mary, this is not gonna happen by natural means. This is gonna happen by supernatural means. Not natural, but supernatural. And the phrase super means outside of natural. Supernatural, beyond natural. The, the angel is saying to Mary, listen, Mary, this is not something that, that you can do. This is something that God will do. And here's the parallel for us. When we think about how we are saved, when we ask the question, how can I get into heaven? How can I be saved? How can I be the best version of me? We ask like Mary, how can this be? And if we had an encounter with an angel, the angel would say to us, this can't happen naturally. It only happens supernaturally by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the parallel for us is this. Jesus came to Mary the exact same way Jesus comes to us, which is by the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus came to Mary through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit did something for Mary that at that point in time, she could not have done for herself. And that right there is a picture of how each and every one of us are saved. We're not saved by natural means. We're saved by supernatural means. And here's what's amazing. The parallel goes on. See, Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and he was born, right? And that's what Christmas is all about. Well, Jesus, that same guy in John chapter three was having a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus and he was telling Nicodemus about the Holy Spirit. He said, he's like the wind. He blows where he will. And then he says this, you must be born again. And Nicodemus very practically, very pragmatically says, uh, Jesus, I know you're smart, but I don't know if you know this. I can't go back in my mother's womb. How can I be born again? And then Jesus says, I'm not talking about flesh and blood. I'm talking about of the spirit. See, birth happened inside of Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the parallel for us is that's exactly how rebirth happens inside of you and me. Rebirth, or what the Bible would call regeneration, recreation, happens not by natural means, but by supernatural means, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love this phrase, upon you. It's a preposition of location. It means, Mary, this is going to happen on you. Now think back to the parable in Matthew 25. Jesus said... Five were wise, had oil in jars. Five who were foolish didn't take any oil with them. So the difference between the wise and the foolish was those who had oil and those who did not. Interestingly enough, if you bring these two stories together, oil in the Bible is typically used as a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. So Jesus in the parable is talking about those who have the oil have the Holy Spirit. Those who have the oil, that's what we talk about anointing. We talk about anointing your head with oil. That is symbolic to, yes, it can be literal oil. And yes, sometimes that can have medicinal purposes. But the whole point is that oil signifies the Holy Spirit. That's why we talk about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. What that means is when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're saved and you are gifted. And so Jesus is saying, listen, you either have the Holy Spirit or you don't have the Holy Spirit. You're either saved or you're not saved. You either have the oil or you don't have the oil. And so when we think about this, what we see is Mary is presented with the same opportunity that in the parable we see. She's a virgin who has been announced about an arrival and will she believe by the power of the Holy Spirit and be wise or will she not and be foolish? Now, one last set of verses. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read it on the screen here for you. Second Timothy chapter three. I just want us to read this because I think it's a good biblical reading on the context of the culture in which we live today, how people think today. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. He says, but understand this, 
that in the last days, the last days, Jesus says in that day, it's a reference to the last days. Now here's Paul saying in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Verse two, four. Now listen to this description. I just want you to think to yourself, does this describe people today? Four people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Is that a pretty good description so far? And kids, Christmas, disobedient to parents is in there, right? Like that is, that's one of the signs that we're in the last eight, the last time. And if that's any truth in my house, Jesus is probably coming back tonight, right? Like people be lovers of self, lovers of money. Now let's look at this. He goes on verse three, heartless, Look at this next word, and I don't have time to get into each word, but I want you to see this one, unappeasable. Now think about that, unappeasable. You can't appease them. The word appease means to please or to satisfy. That right there might be the greatest indictment and understanding of our culture. We've got more than we've ever had, and yet we're more depressed and unsatisfied than we've ever been. We're unappeasable. He goes on, look at this, slanderous, without self-control, got me on that one, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Here's the key phrase, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. See, he says lovers of self and then gives us all these descriptions that describe what it means to be a lover of self. You want to know what self-centered love is? Look back at those words. Rather than, he juxtaposes it to lovers of God. Now skip to verse seven. I've got it on the screen as well. Listen to what he says. And I really want us to focus on this one. Always learning and never able to arrive. Always learning, but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. See, today we live in what is now affectionately called the information age. Knowledge is doubling faster than it's ever doubled. We have more information than we've ever had before. We're always learning, always learning, always learning. But the Bible says the great indictment for us is we are never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. We started off this message saying that Christmas is about the fact that the truth has arrived. The truth has arrived. See, John described Jesus in John chapter one like this. He says, he is the eternal word of God, coexistent with God for all eternity. And he put on flesh and dwelt among us. And then Jesus said of himself in John 14, six, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I interpret that the way to life is through the truth. And Jesus is saying, he is that truth. See, truth is not a proposition we know, it's a person we know. Truth is not a proposition, truth is a person. And that person is the eternal word of God who came into our world, put on flesh, dwelt among us, lived a perfect sinless life, yet he died a sinner's death on the cross for you and I in our place. And he rose again by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's alive today. He's the truth. So here's the question. 
The truth has arrived. The truth is here. But the question is, have you arrived at the truth? Have you arrived? What category would you be in if Jesus arrived tonight? Would you be in the wise? Because by the power of the Holy Spirit, you've been saved. Or would you be in the foolish thinking, I got more time until he comes? The message today is be like Mary. Look back at Luke chapter one, verse 38. I love Mary's response. Luke 1 verse 38 says this, and Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. See, Mary was in the category of the wise. The truth arrived and Mary in a very personal manner, the truth arrived, literally conceived in her womb. But I want you to understand something. Mary is not saved because she gave birth to Jesus. She does not have special privileges. Mary is saved because she believed who that boy was. She believed that he was her savior, that he was the long promised Messiah, that he was the king that was going to raise, uh, that was going to reign forever. So Mary was a wise virgin who, when the bridegroom returns, she will be on the inside of the wedding party because she believed, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, birth was conceived inside of her, which is the exact same thing that happens for you and I. If we will believe by the power of the Holy Spirit, new birth will regenerate inside of us, and Jesus will come to us by the power of the Holy Spirit so that when he returns, we will not be found on the outside looking in, but on the inside celebrating with him the last supper of the wedding of the lamb. So here's my question. If Jesus were to arrive tonight, and hear me, I'm not trying to guilt you, but what, if he arrived tonight, would you be found wise and on the inside celebrating? Or would you be found foolish on the outside, knocking, trying to get in, and then hear Jesus say, I don't know you. I'm not in relationship with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth. Thank you that Jesus came and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. And God, I pray right now for anybody in the house or watching or listening that if they were to answer that question, if you were to arrive tonight, If they were to say, I, I don't know if I would be on the inside or outside, God, I pray right now that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would save them. We pray for a new birth, just like what happened in Mary would happen inside of them, that you would save them, not by natural means, not by anything that they've done, but by supernatural means. 
And what that means is you apply to their heart and life what Jesus accomplished. And they'd be saved. Now, nobody looking around or talking. Let's just take a moment to pause and and let me ask that question again. If Jesus were to arrive tonight, could you confidently say that you had already arrived at the truth and were saved? If you can't, then we can settle that right now. The truth has arrived, and today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can arrive at the truth. And the truth is is that Jesus loved you, and he died for you, and he came into this world. He put on flesh so that he could die for your sins. And if you will, in faith, be like Mary and say, let it be to me, you'll be saved. So again, nobody looking around or talking. If you want to trust Christ for the first time, And be saved and have new birth for your heart to be regenerated. I'm going to ask you to pray with me to yourself, not out loud. We're not trying to embarrass you. If that's you, you want to trust Christ, pray with me. Say, God, thank you for loving me. That you sent Jesus to earth. And he died in my place for my sins. I ask you to save me, forgive me. I give you my life. Let it be to me according to your word. Now again, nobody looking around or talking, but if you just pray to trust Christ, we wanna celebrate with you. We wanna know that. Just like when a baby is born, everybody celebrates and we should. When a Christian is born, we should celebrate just as much because birth has happened. New life. And so if you just trusted Christ, we just want the opportunity to celebrate with you. And so here's what I want you to do. Again, nobody looking around, both locations. If you just trusted Christ, would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see it? Lift it high. Don't be ashamed. Lift it high. Thank you. Thank you. Lift it up. Lift it up. we got men and women going to walk around, put a gift in your hand. There's a Bible, some next steps, some resources. And when they do that, you can put your hand down. Thank you. Thank you. And then those of us who would say we've already trusted Christ. The message for us is this. The bridegroom is coming. So don't be content just knowing that you're on the inside. Live your life trying to get those on the outside in the inside. Don't just hoard the blessing. Share it. Share the hope that we have. That is what the message of Christmas is about. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for those who trusted you today. And God, I pray all of us will be reminded by by the message of Christmas that the truth came. And because of Christ, we can now arrive at the truth. And so God, we ask you, to fill us with your spirit, to empower us to stay on mission until you return, to wake up, to not be weary, to keep sharing. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.